Chapter Two of Wandle the Invader by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wandle the Invader, Chapter Two. Colonel Halsey sat at his desk with a few papers before him and a bank of instrument controls at his elbow. He pushed his audiophone and mirror grid to one side. Sit down, please. He gave us each the benefit of a welcoming smile, and his gaze finished upon Anita. "'I came because you sent for Venza,' Anita said quickly. "'Please, Colonel Halsey, let me stay. I thought, whatever you want her for, you might need me, too.' "'Quite so, Miss Prince. Perhaps I shall.' It seemed that in his mind were many of the thoughts thronging my own, for he added, "'Holgen, I recall I sent for you like this once before.' I hope this may be a more auspicious occasion. So do I, sir. Snap said, We've been afraid hardly to do more than a whisper, but you're insulated here, and we're mighty curious. Halsey nodded. I can talk freely to you, and yet I cannot. His gaze went to Venza. It is you in whom I am most interested. Me? You flatter me, Colonel Halsey. She sat gracefully reclining in the metal chair before his desk, seeming small as a child between his big, broad arms. Her long gray skirt had parted to display her shapely gray satin legs. She had thrown off the hood of her cloak. Her thick black hair was coiled in a knot low at the back of her neck. Her carmine lips bore an alluring smile. It was all instinctive. To this girl from Venus it came as naturally as she breathed. Halsey's gray eyes twinkled. "'Do not look at me quite like that, Miss Venza, or I shall forget what I have to say. You would get the better of me. I'm glad you're not a criminal.' "'So am I,' she declared. "'What can I do for you, Colonel Halsey?' His smile faded at once. His glance included us all. "'Just this. There is a man here in Greater New York, a Martian whom they call Set Molo.' He has a younger sister, Sedamika. Have any of you heard of them? We had not. Halsey went on, slowly now, apparently choosing his words with the greatest care. There are things that I can tell you, and there are things that I cannot. Why not? asked Venza. My dear, for one thing, if you are going to help me, you can do it best by not knowing too much. For another, I have my orders. This thing concerns the very highest authorities, not only of the USW, but in Ferrakshan and Grebar, too. He paused, but none of us spoke. Then Halsey said quietly, Well, this Martian and his sister are here now in Greater New York. They have some secret. They are engaged in some activity, and I want to find out what it is. I have picked up only little parts of it. He stopped, and out of the silence Snap said, "'If you don't mind, Colonel Halsey, it seems to me you are mostly talking in code.' "'I'm not, but I'm trying to tell you as little as possible. You, Miss Venza, need only understand this. The Martian, Molo, must be induced to give you some idea of what he is doing here.' "'And am I to induce him?' Venza asked calmly. "'That is my idea.' The faint shadow of a smile swept Halsey's thin, intent face. "'My dear, you are a girl of Venus. More than that, 
You have far more than your normal share of wits and brains." It did not make Venza smile. She sat tense now, with her dark-eyed gaze fastened on Halsey's face. Anita, equally breathless, reached over and gripped her hand. Then Venza said slowly, "'I realize, Colonel Halsey, that this is something vital.' "'As vital, my child, as it could be.' He drew a long breath. "'I want you to understand I am doing my duty. Doing what seems the best thing, not for you, perhaps, but for the world.' I seemed to see into his mind at that moment. He might have been a father, sending a daughter into danger. I need not disguise the danger. I have lost a dozen men. He lighted a cigarette. I don't seem to be able to frighten you. No, she said, and I heard Anita murmur, Oh, Venza! But you frighten me, said Snap. Colonel, look here. You know I'm going to marry this girl very soon. Yes, I know. You'll have to consider this a sacrifice, a voluntary descent into danger, for a great cause in a great crisis. You four have just come out of a very considerable danger. We know of what stuff you are made, all of you." He smiled again. Perhaps that prominence is unfortunate for you, but let me settle it now. Is there any one of you who will not take my orders and trust my judgment of what is best? and do it, if need be, blindly. Will you offer yourselves to me?" We gazed at each other. Both the girls instantly murmured, "'Yes.' "'Yes,' I said at last. It was not too hard for me, for I thought I was yielding him Venza, not Anita. Snap was very pale. He stared from one to the other of us. "'Yes,' he said finally. "'But, Colonel, surely you can tell us more?' Halsey tossed his cigarette away. "'I will tell you as much as I think best. These Martians, Molo and his sister, do not know of Venza. At least, I think that they do not. They apparently have not been here very long. How they got here, we don't know. There was no passenger or freight ship. In Ferox Shan, they have a dubious reputation at best, but I won't go into that.' Venza, I will show you these Martians, and the rest depends upon you. There is a mystery. You will find out what it is." He reached for his inter-office autophone. I want to locate the Martian Set Molo. Francis, Staff X-2, has it in charge. The audible connection came in a moment. Francis? We could hear the answering microphonic voice. Yes, Colonel. Is the fellow in a public place by any chance? In the Red Spark Café, Colonel, with his sister and a party. Good enough. The Red Spark has an image finder. Have you visual connection? Yes, the whole room. They have a dozen finders. Use a magnifier. Get the closest view you can. It's done, Colonel. I did it just in case you called. Connected. In a moment, our mirror grid was glowing with the two-foot square image of the interior of the Red Spark Café. I knew the place by reputation. A fashionable, more or less disreputable eating, drinking, and dancing restaurant, where money and alkalite flowed freely. The patrons were successful criminals of the three worlds, 
intermingled with thrilled, respectable tourists who hoped they would see something really evil. The red spark was not far from Halsey's office. It was perched high in a break of the city roof, almost directly over Park Circle 29. "'There he is,' said Halsey. We crowded around his desk. The image showed the interior of a large oval room, balconied and terraced. A dais dance floor, raised high in the center with three professional couples gyrating there, and beneath them the public dance grid, slowly rotating on its central axis. A hundred or so couples were dancing. The lower floor was crowded with dining tables. Others were upon the little catwalk balconies, and still others in the terraced nooks and side niches, half enshrouded, half revealed by colored draperies. The image now was silent, for Halsey was not bothering with audio connection. But it was a riot of color, flashing colored floodlights bathing the dancers in vivid tints and there were twinkling spots of colored tube-lights on all the tables. I saw, too, the blank rectangles of darkness against the walls, which marked the private dining-rooms, insulated against sight and sound. Here one might go for frivolous indiscretion, or for conspiracy, perhaps, and be as secure from interruption as we were here in Halsey's office. Venza asked eagerly, "'Which is he?' over there on the third terrace to the left, that table. There seemed to be six of them in the party. We heard Francis' voice. He was in Halsey's lower Manhattan office, with this same image before him. "'We'll get a closer view.' The table in question was no more than a square inch on our image. We could see an apparently gay party of men and women. One of the couples was gigantic, a Martian man and woman, obviously." The others seemed to be Earth or Venus people. Francis' voice added, I've got an audio magnifier on them. Foley's been listening for an hour. Nice, clear English. Much good it does us. This fellow is as cautious as a director of the lower air lane. Here's your near look. Our image shifted to another view. The lens eye with which we are connected now gave us a view directly over the Martian's table. We were looking down diagonally upon the table, at a distance of no more than ten feet. There were three earthwomen in the party. There was nothing peculiar about them. They were rather handsome, dissolute in appearance, all of them obviously befuddled by alkalite. There was a man who could have been Anglo-Saxon. A wastrel, probably, with more money than wit. He wore a black dinner suit, edged with white. Our attention focused upon the other two. They were tall, as are all Martians. The young woman, Seda Mika, seemed perhaps twenty or twenty-five years of age, by earth reckoning, in stature perhaps very nearly my own height, which is six feet two. It is difficult to tell a Martian's age, but she was very handsome, even by earth standards. And in Ferox Shan she would have been considered a beauty. Her grey-black hair was parted and tied at the back with a plaited metal rope. Her short dark cloak, so luminous a fabric that it caught and reflected the sheen of all the gaudy restaurant lights, was parted, its ends thrown back over her shoulders. Beneath it she wore the characteristic Martian leather jacket, and short, wide leather trousers ornamented with spun metal fringes and tassels. Most Martian women have an Amazonian aspect, but I saw now that Seda Mika was an exception.
Her brother, who sat beside her, was a full seven feet or more, a hulking sort of fellow, far less spindly than most of his race. He might have come from the polar outposts beyond the Martian Union. He was bareheaded, his gray-black hair clipped close upon a round bullet head with the familiar Martian round eyes. I gazed into the face of Molo, as momentarily he turned his head. It was a rough-hewn, strongly masculine face, with a hawk-like nose, bushy black brows frowning above deep-set round eyes. The face of a keen scoundrel I could not doubt, though the smooth-plucked gray skin was flushed now with alkalite, and the wide, thin-lipped mouth was leering at the woman across the table from him. Like his sister, he had thrown back his cloak, disclosing a brawny, powerful figure, leather-clad, with a wide belt of dangling ornaments, some of which probably were weapons. How long we gazed at this silent-colored image of the restaurant table, I do not know. I was aware of Halsey's quiet voice. Look him over, Miss Venza. It depends on you. Another interval passed. It seemed, as we watched, that Molo's interest in his party was very slight. I got the impression, too, that though at first he had seemed to be intoxicated, actually he was not. Nor was his sister. Anxiety seemed upon her. The smile she had for jests seemed forced, and at intervals she would cast a swift, furtive glance across the gay restaurant scene. More drinks arrived. The earth people at the table here seemed upon the verge of stupor, and suddenly it appeared that Molo had completely lost interest in them. With a gesture to his sister, he abruptly rose from his seat. She joined him. They left the table, and a red-clad floor manager of the restaurant came at their call. Then, in a moment, they were moving across the room. Halsey called sharply into his autophone. "'Francis, hold us to them if you can!' They were standing now by the open door of one of the Red Spark's private insulated rooms. We caught a glimpse of its interior a gaily set table with a bank of colored lights over it. The figure of a man was in there. He was on his feet, as though he had just arrived to meet the Martians here, and a hooded, long cloak enveloped him. It may have been a magnetic, invisible cloak, with the current now off. We caught only the fleetest of impressions before the insulated door closed and barred our vision. The glimpse was an accident. Molo, taken by surprise at this appearance of his visitor, could hardly have guarded against it. The waiting figure was very tall, some ten feet, and very thin. The hood shrouded his face and head. In his hand he held a large circular box of black shiny leather, of the sort in which women carry wide-brimmed hats. As Molo joined him he put the box gently on the floor. He handled it as though it were extraordinarily heavy, and as he took a step or two he seemed weighted down. Just as the room door was hastily closing, Mika sliding it from the inside, we caught a fleeting glimpse of horror. The lid of the hat-box had lifted up. Inside was a great round thing of grey-white, a living thing, a distended ball of membrane with a network of veins and blood vessels showing beneath the transparent skin. For the instant we gazed stricken. The ball was palpitating, breathing. I saw convolutions of inner tissue under the transparent skin of membrane. A little tentacle, like an arm with a flat-webbed hand, 
was holding up the lid of the box. The lid rose a trifle higher. The colored lights overhead gave us a brief but clear view of it. The thing in the box was a huge living brain. I saw goggling, protruding eyes, an orifice that could have been a nose, and a gash upended for a vertical mouth. It was a face, and the little tentacle arm holding up the box lid was joined to where the ear should have been. Was this something human? A huge, distended human brain, with the body withered to that tiny arm? The palpitating thing sank down in the box, and the lid dropped. And upon our horrified gaze the insulated door of the room slid too. "'By the gods!' exclaimed Halsey. "'One of them dares come to the Red Spark, here almost in public!' So Halsey knew what this meant. His eyes were blazing now, his face was white, with an intensity of emotion that transfigured it. "'Francis, tell Foley I'll be in the manager's office in five minutes.' He snapped off. Our image connection with the Red Spark went dead. "'We're going to the Red Spark,' he announced. "'This changes everything. Yet I don't know. Venza, I may need you more than ever now.' Halsey herded us to the office door. From his desk he had snatched up a few portable instruments, and he flung on a cloak. It was a brief trip to the Red Spark, on foot through the sub-cellar arcade to where, under Park Circle 29, we went up in a vertical lift to the roof. We were in the side entrance oval of the restaurant in five minutes. In the dim metal room of Orentino, the Red Spark's manager, a barrage was up and Foley was waiting for us. We could hear it faintly humming. Now we could talk. Halsey slammed the door down. He said swiftly, "'My men caught one of these things this morning. They have it now, and I think Molo does not yet know we captured it. A brain. We're convinced it understands English and can talk, but no one has been able to make it talk yet. Foley, order that damned Orentino to de-insulate the room Molo is in. Now, by the gods, we may see and hear something.' The frightened manager of the Red Spark was in the control room. Halsey killed our barrage to let the outside connections get through to us. We all crowded around the mirror grid which stood on Orentino's desk. Foley gave us connection with the control room. We saw Orentino's face, his eyes nearly popping with fright. "'Colonel Halsey, I will do whatever you tell me.' "'What room is that Martian occupying?' "'Insulated 39.' "'Break off the insulation. Do it slowly, and he may not notice.' Then give us connection, audio, and vision. But I have no image finders in the insulated rooms. Cut off the barrage. I'll get connection there. Foley was already setting up his eavesdropper on the desk. The mirror blurred a little, then it clarified. We had the interior of the secret room, and voices were coming out of Foley's tiny receiver. The image showed the box on the floor, with its lid down. The tall hooded shape of the stranger stood with Molo and his sister by the table. They were talking in swift, vehement undertones. The language was Martian, a dialect principally used in Ferox Shan. Our equipment brought it in, and I could understand it. Molo was saying, But you are the fool to have dared to come here. The master knows that there is danger. Something is wrong. 
The hooded stranger spoke like a foreigner, but not a Martian nor an Earthman, and not like any person of Venus I had ever heard. It was a strange, indescribable intonation, a flat, hollow voice. I say the master is concerned. Let him be. And he demanded I bring him here to find you. He is displeased that you are here. What gruesome thing was this? Their glances seemed to go to the box on the floor at their feet, as though the master were in there. But the lid of the box did not rise. "'Well, you have found me,' Molo declared impatiently. "'When you know me better, always you will find I have my wits. The thing is for tomorrow night, not tonight.' "'But that my master is not sure.' The hollow voice was deferential but insistent. He fears danger. Something has gone wrong. He is working on it now, striving to receive the message. There is a message. He knows that much. Perhaps from our world, Wando itself. For a moment, Molo had no answer. His sister had not spoken. I noticed that her gaze seemed roving the room. What is it I should do? Molo asked at last. Come with us to your homeroom. But I have everything ready there. The contact is ready for tomorrow night. Your world will control Earth. But if it be tonight. Again Molo was silent. My breath stopped. On our mirror I saw the stranger's hood part just a little. There seemed to be no face just the blur of something brownish. "'But if it be to-night,' the voice insisted. "'I will go,' Molo said abruptly. "'But your coming here was dangerous. Suppose we cannot get out undetected. You know I will never go to where all our instruments are set up and have some damnable spy follow me. Is all going well on Venus and Mars?' "'Yes, my master feels so.' He seems to get messages. The contacts will be made simultaneously. A gruesome chuckle. The capture of these three worlds. We shall have all three enchained at once, helpless. The lid of the black box seemed again about to rise when there came a sharp cry from Mika. This room is not insulated. Our eavesdropping was discovered. Beside me I heard Halsey give a low curse. On our mirror we saw sudden action. The ten-foot, cloaked figure laboriously lifted the black box and swung with it toward the outer wall of the room. I saw now clearly with what a dragging, heavy tread that giant shape moved, as though it weighed, here on earth, far more than the normal weight to which it was accustomed. "'Over there!' Molo gasped. "'The escape port! This room has one!' Mika, go with him. I will join you. You know where. Foley cried, Colonel, I may be able to stop them. But Halsey saw on our image that Molo was staying. Wait, let them go. If we have the Martian here, that's better. I saw the room's escape port swing open as Mika and the hooded shape carrying the box moved for it. The moonlit darkness of the outer catwalk enveloped the disappearing figures. Molo was left alone. He closed the port swiftly. His detector now was in his hand, but Halsey anticipated him by a second or two. 
our listener went dead, our mirror darkened. Doubtless Molo was never sure whether he had been spied on or not. Halsey was on his feet. Foley, get out into the main room, stay with him. But there was no need to follow Molo. He had sent his visitor and sister out by the escape port, which was usual enough. Now he was back in the main room as though nothing of importance had happened, with an appearance of intoxication about him. He wavered jovially across the room, threading his way through the gay diners, and reached the table where his party still sat carousing. Again Halsey shut us off. "'He's got a base somewhere in the city. You heard what they said about it. We've got to trick him into going there unsuspecting.' Halsey seized the autophone. "'Your chance, Venza. It's the only way. Foley, keep away from that Martian. Shut off all contacts.' I'll meet you out there in a moment. I'm sending a girl. She'll go after him." "'Now?' Venza asked. "'Yes, it's the only way. Perhaps you can get him drinking. Venza, use all the wiles you possess now.' "'No!' gasped Snap. "'It's too dangerous!' Anita was clinging to Venza. "'Colonel Halsey, I'm going too.' Halsey stared, then made a swift decision. "'Right.' That is still better. I jumped to my feet. Colonel, I should prefer that one of us men— He gripped me by the shoulders. Greg Halgen, I take no suggestions from you. His blazing eyes bored into me. There isn't a second to lose. Don't you realize this means destruction of our three inhabited planets? I'll sacrifice myself, you or these girls. Venza, take Anita outside. I'll join you immediately give you last instructions. Take a portable autophone with you." He turned to Snap. "'This is the only way. These demons can't be forced. You know that.' The girls were moving toward the door. I met Snap's anguished gaze. "'Greg, don't let them go!' "'No, no, I won't.' I made a lunge past Halsey, with Snap after me. Halsey did not move, but one of his rays struck us. With all senses numbed, I felt myself falling. "'Greg, don't let them—' Snap had tumbled upon me. My senses did not quite fade. I was aware of Anita's and Venza's horrified cries, but Halsey pushed them toward the door. It slid up. I vaguely saw the two girls going out with Halsey after them, and the door coming down. End of chapter 2